And so, you know, most of you remember this. It's called the uh, you might be a redneck if uh, routine. He said, you know, things like you might be a redneck if you've ever made change in an offering plate. If you uh, have a house with wheels on it and cars that don't, you might be a redneck. Uh, if you regularly have people stop by and ask, when's the yard sale? You might be a redneck. Um, and as I listened, I would just laugh and laugh, and then one day I went, wait a minute. All of those things apply to me. He's talking about me. And uh, it took a while, but, th- but these things were helpful, right? And I... Uh, I I never ever, ever considered myself to be what I clearly was. It's hard to see yourself, isn't it? It's hard to see what other people see. It's hard to see those things that have become such a part of our personality that, uh, that we haven't even noticed. And uh, even especially when those things are vices, when they're problems. I, uh, I saw a little meme yesterday or a snapshot of a conversation a guy wrote in on Twitter I'm so excited about my bets uh, for Sunday that I can't even sleep and someone responded you might have a gambling problem and he responded buddy I have gambled every day for the last 20 years they my my bets are all I think about from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed if I don't have a problem yet I'm never going to get one Let it sink in on you. Yeah, um, that's the definition of a problem, right? And I think, I say all that to say this, I think when we think of a legalist, someone who has a, a legal frame of spirit, someone who lives, um, as, as Paul would say, under the law, even if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian, Paul only writes this letter to Christians, and I assume that I'm only speaking to Christians. Uh, if you are have a spirit where you're under the law, that's a very hard thing to see in yourself. It's a very hard thing to see in yourself. It's easy to see it in other people, but it's hard to see it in yourself. Um, and, and nobody's a better example of that than me. When I, I was a youth minister, the whole time I was in seminary, I was a youth minister. Um, and my primary application to my senior high youth in the youth ministry was almost every other week, this is why you should keep the Sabbath. Uh, We would not allow our youth, as a matter of fact, we had Bible study in the middle of the Super Bowl and would not, because it was the Sabbath day. And we're not going to break the Sabbath to watch football. And there were other examples, but that one being the most ludicrous. I, uh, I did not consider myself to be a legalist because I didn't mind whether you drank alcohol or not. And a legalist doesn't drink. Isn't that funny? I mean, on one hand, I've got this kind of strict definition of what a legalist is, and I'm legalistic about not being a legalist. And on the other hand, I'm just burdening people down with the law that they I would never keep, and it reveals just a misunderstanding of it in the first place. That, that is how blind I was to myself. 
And sometimes I think we need to uh, open up our, our eyes and just ask, am I the person who needs this the most? Am I the person that needs to, to see myself? Maybe I can only really tell who I am by the, the fruits of the Spirit, by the fruit, of how I'm living, and, and what kind of fruit that legalism bears. And I, that's what Paul is talking to us about today. What is the fruit of legalism? What does a legalistic uh, frame of spirit, what does Christianity that's bound up under the law, what does it look like? What does it bear? What, what are the fruits that it bears? Um, and, uh, and he tells us that it bears slavery. And he tells us that we need a daily refresh of the gospel to rescue us from the hidden slavery that comes from having a legal frame of spirit. See, we're all born with it. We're all born with it. And we need a daily refresh of the gospel to be rescued from it. Please stand as we read this great text from Galatians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Uh, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, are like Isaac. Children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. Pretty much every day, either my computer or my phone gets tangled up and won't work correctly unless I turn it off and reboot it. And, and the same thing happens in my brain. 
my brain gets tangled up and doesn't think correctly until I refresh. I hit the refresh button and remind myself of who I am in Christ. See, I need a daily refresh of the gospel to rescue me from this this legal frame of spirit um, that just leads to slavery. Paul here tells a, tells a story that I, want, I need to kind of remind you of because it would have been very much in their mindset and very much not in ours necessarily. Uh, in the Old Testament, Abraham was, uh, had no children, and God came to him and said, You, through you, through your children, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I uh, promised him a child, and the child didn't come. For years and years and years, the child did not come. And his wife, Sarah, got tired of waiting. And so she and Abraham took the matter into their own hands. And she said, well, go and have a child by my maid, and that will be our child. And so he did that. Now, it's very tempting for us to kind of clean that up and be like, oh, that was okay in the Old Testament. Um it has never been okay to get your servant pregnant at any point, okay? And, and, and they knew that just like we do. Like, don't, don't write that off as, it's, it's just funny, the, the efforts that some people will go to to say, no, that wasn't really a sin. It was a sin. He should not have done it. And he knew that. And some 13 years later, the Lord came back to him and said, walk before me and be blameless. And again, promised him this son, and, and he pled, please, can't you just bless Ishmael? And he said, no. I'm not going to bless the fruit of your sin. I'll take care of him, and I'll give him a family, and I'll raise up a nation, but through Isaac, through this child that I'm about to give you with Sarah, and Abraham was so old, he just laughed about the, even the thought. And so they named him Isaac because it was just a joke to have a, a baby that late. And uh, through Isaac, through the child of faith, came the nation of Israel. Now, the reason why that's an important illustration is because we all have both of these women, both of these families in our hearts every day. On one hand, we have faith, and we want to put our trust in the Lord, and we want to receive the, the gospel, and we want to live by that, and we want to believe, and, and we want the Holy Spirit to come in us, and we want to trust Him to, to sanctify us and make us holy and make us better people. And in the other, on the other hand, we get impatient, and we want to take the matter into our own hands. And we want to force our sanctification and we want to force the sanctification of our children. Whether they like it or not, we're going to make them holy. And, and those two things are at war. And we don't even see it. We don't even see it. And so let's, uh, let's play You Might Be a Redneck. If you live with regret, if regret is something that just hangs over your head, you messed your life up X number of years ago, you might be a legalist. Why? 
What does the legalist believe? Walking on that high wire, called the law, doing things right. And I didn't do think something right. I made the wrong decision. I, I've sinned somehow. I, I didn't live up to my expectations. And everything's been ruined since. That's, that's the legalist way. The legalist doesn't know anything about redemption. The legalist doesn't believe in redemption. But if you're living by faith, then you look at those events and you go, wow, without those, that failure, without that mistake, I wouldn't be the person I am now. And look at me now. I am joyfully in Christ. And I'm trusting even the ones that I haven't seen God redeem yet. I am trusting him to make something great out of that because he promised to. If you are still angry about something that happened to you more than a week ago, I'm not talking about a huge thing. You know, I, I understand trauma, and I understand that it takes a while to kind of process that and grieve it and, and deal with it. But I'm talking about just the typical things that happen at work, in traffic, with your family, with your friends. If you're still mad about something that happened over a week ago, you might be a legalist. Why? Legalists haven't drank from the well of grace. They haven't received grace, and so they're not able to apply it. You can only treat people the way you believe God has treated you. If you, if you live in fear, raise your children out of fear, if you do something wrong, you're going to break them. You might be a legalist. Again, you just don't understand the power of redemption and the power of grace. And the legalist looks at their children and goes, oh, I hope I don't do anything wrong because if I do anything wrong and if I lose my temper, then they're not going to get a graduate degree and have a happy life. But if you understand the gospel... You wake up in the morning and you go, boy, I know I'm going to mess up today. I wonder how. And my loving Father in heaven who loves me so much that he gave his only son for me, he's going to redeem those mistakes and use them to sanctify my children. And they're going to be authentic, real people who know how to love and be loved. If you... If you live with a critical spirit, if you have a critical spirit, if you know what that means, it means every time you open your mouth to talk to your children or to anybody who's kind of at your level or below you in your heart of hearts, uh, so every time you open your mouth to speak to your children or your employees or your spouse in some cases, correction is what comes out if like the the language that you talk to your kids with is correction you might be a legalist you're just seeing what's wrong you can't help it and you want to perfect them uh if you i used to be the i am still it's a daily struggle daily struggle i i, I deal with this every day my my son came home from college yesterday and I just put those brakes on. It's like, I'm just going to ask him how he's doing. What if I just do that? 
Because I know he's about to mess everything up. And he knows I know that. So let's just ask him if that's still his plan. Shall we? If we live with bitterness and jealousy, bitterness, I've done everything right and I haven't gotten what I deserve. Jealousy, I'm every bit as good as this person. I've done, I've, I've obeyed the Lord every bit as well as that person. Why do they have what I deserve? You might be a legalist. The legalist hasn't tasted God's grace recently. And if you've really drank from God's grace, then your attitude is, wow, I have fallen backwards into a wonderful Savior and into the hands of the Lord of the universe who is dear. Look at all I have, and Jesus too. So much more than I deserve. If you live with shame, Shame um, Shame is the belief that you're broken and you can't be fixed. Shame is the belief that you did something that's just so bad you'll never be dirty. You're dirty and you'll never be clean again. Well, you might have a legal frame of spirit. Because if you understand the gospel, if you drink deeply from the gospel... You're going to know that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, died for that. And he shed his blood for that. And it is terribly, I want to be careful how I say this. It's terribly insulting for you to think that he can't fix what you broke. Now, you have to work that in, right? You have to knead it in like yeast into the dough. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad about feeling bad. But take your shame to Jesus and let him deal with it. Get rid of that legal frame of spirit that says, I can't be fixed. If, you are, if that's your, your life, faith just says, I mean, shame just says, I'm broken and, and nothing can to make me better. Nobody wants me. And faith says, I am the lost princess. I am Cinderella. And the prince has gone through every house in the kingdom looking for me. And he found me. And he's taking me home. That is the, the, the glory, the joy of living uh, in the gospel. And that's why it's tempting. It's hard. And, and we need to take this daily refresh, right? We need to uh, refresh ourselves daily in, in reminding ourselves what the gospel is and what Jesus has done for us to free us from all those negative, barren things. I mean, they're barren. Whatever has regret done for you? Whatever has shame done for you? Whatever has anger done for you? They're barren. They produce no fruit. There's, but there's better out there for you. And it's in the gospel. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel. What, are we, what do we believe when we say that? What is the good news? The good news is that God himself came in the form of Jesus Christ, came as the person of Jesus Christ, and he kept the law for you. He was perfect for you. Everything the law demands of you, 
He did, and he did it with you right there along with him. Even though you didn't know it, he did it for you. And that changes how you see yourself, and it changes how you see the world judging you. I mean, just think of it like this. Think of, think of the face of the most disappointed person on earth and the way they look at you. Maybe it's a coach, a coach who's very aware that his reputation rides on your performance. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a boss. But it's somebody whose disappointing pursed lips you carry with you from day to day. I want you to remember that you were in Jesus. And see that face turn into the smile that says, you are perfect. Perfect. I can't change the way that person looked at you. But I can change whose face you look at. You can change whose face you look at. And you have your Father in Heaven who's just goofy delighted over you. Let that be enough for you. Let that be enough. Not only did He live the life perfectly for us, but He he paid the price of our breaking the law. He has taken the obstacle of our sin out of the way so that we can have beautiful unity with Him. And it's shocking how seldom we own that. It's shocking how seldom we remind ourselves that our sin has been dealt with and it's gone and I don't have to keep beating myself up for the way I yelled at my children in 2008. Nobody else remembers? Why do I? Jesus died for that. It's gone. It is in the abyss. Let it go. Let it go. And, and not only did he do those things, but he, he came to you and he made you alive. Don't you remember how bad it felt to be under sin? How bad it felt to be under condemnation, to always be beating yourself up because the things you wanted to do you couldn't do and the things you didn't want to do you just kept right on doing and you tried so hard and you wanted to be right, but you just couldn't make yourself right. Don't you remember how bad that felt? And his spirit came to you and he freed you from that? And for a week or so, you actually believed you were forgiven? Wasn't that a good week? Back in 1989? You can live that way today because you're just as forgiven today as you were then. Don't go back to that. We have to refresh ourselves daily to go, to, to keep ourselves, rescue ourselves from this life of judgment and scorn and legal frame of spirit that's just right there waiting on us to capture us. And and the Holy Spirit offers to us a better life. He says, don't you want the life of faith? What does faith produce, Paul? Freedom. Joy. Curiosity. Uh, you know, uh, the life of faith is a life that takes us from regret to expectation. I mean, wow. How, 
how unbelievable was it two weeks ago to listen to John Lynch tell his story of God redeeming his very worst day, his most shameful day, the worst thing that had ever happened to him, and using that day to bring somebody else into salvation and life? Wasn't that amazing? Isn't it just shocking to think that you can have expectations over your worst day? And the joy of expectation of wondering, what's God going to do with that? Especially if I stop covering it up and show people the truth. The life of, uh, the life of faith is a life of freedom from fear. You know, it's, it's saying, yeah, I'm going to mess up today, but I don't, I don't walk on a high wire. Or if I am walking on a high wire, I got a huge net up under me. It's one of the, one of the great stories uh, in modern engineering, the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, the engineer and, and builder, contractor of the Golden Gate Bridge, spent $200,000 on a net. And um, all, the, all his investors thought that was absolutely stupid. I mean, it was just the way things were in those days. That five or six people were going to die and building bridges, and life's cheap, and nets are expensive, and we're just going to go on. But he insisted on putting this net under the, the men, and dozens of men were protected by that net, were caught by that net one time, 12 and one, and one fall. And the, gate, the bridge was built like a year faster than it was supposed to be and saved him all this money, which is what we really care about, not the lives. And all because they had a net under them. They were able to work freely and, and, and just concentrate on what they were doing and they didn't make mistakes. I mean, hadn't you ever watched somebody? I, I remember the only really big circus I've ever been to. And I just remember the, the trapeze guys, you know, doing all this silly stuff. I'm like, why are you doing that? But the, when they looked like they had the most fun was when they just let go of the trapeze and bounced into the net. I was like, now that would be fun. I want to do that. And it is kind of fun to fall and see how the Lord blesses us. To, to refresh our, ourselves daily with that. It, it's, it's fun to go from, from judgment to curiosity. To go from judgment to curiosity. To go from just secretly judging my next door neighbor because of his loud pickup truck. I have a neighbor who has the, the loudest truck in the neighborhood. The first, for, for a long time there, the very first thing I heard in the morning was his car, truck. I'm just like, really? And then he'd go back in the house for like 10 minutes while it warmed up. And I just had in my mind, you know, this list of all the terrible things he was because of that exhaust system. You know, just stupid, racist, redneck, blah, 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 blah. I just, his black wife just doesn't think he's that much of a racist. And his, well, the list goes on. And I started being, stopped being so judgmental and started being curious. And he's become a, a good friend, and he's just hilarious. Uh, you know, a, a life of faith allows you to actually be interested in people instead of separating themselves from you and how you're different. A, a life of faith allows you to 
figure out what your children are thinking. You know, when, I, when my kids were little, I just gave them rules. I just gave them rules. Sometimes there were rules they could keep, sometimes rules they couldn't, you know. I had, we had bedtime rules, and you don't get out of bed. And every time they got out of bed, it was because they were being disobedient, right? It wasn't because I was right outside their bedroom with the television on laughing. That's not why they got out of bed. They didn't get out of bed because they wanted to be with their daddy. That's not why they got out of bed. They got out of bed because they were disobedient. Man, I wish I had those days back. In our backyard, we had these uh, these bricks. So we lived. I lived in the Mississippi Delta, which is very flat and very low. It's a very low place uh, outside of the river, and uh, so what, that means water is the enemy. You just can't. If there's no hills, you have never lived in a flat place. If there's no hills, the water goes where it's not supposed to go, and so you use bricks to kind of manage it, right? And I need the water to not go out under the house. I'm not sure why I didn't need the water to go under the house. It was always there. never heard anything. But that's what I'd always heard. You don't want water under the house. So I was always stirring, uh, driving it away. And for whatever reason, those bricks were my kids' favorite toys. And all I could see, every time I saw them touching one, all I could see was them just breaking their toes with these bricks that were too heavy for them to carry. And so just the rule was just bam! solid. You don't play with the bricks. Don't play with them. And one day I went outside and one of my kids had built, had just moved every brick. And and had been in the mud. He was just covered with mud and he was just putting them in a straight line and I just got so mad and I yelled at him and spanked him. I, don't you know the rules? And sent him to his room after I cleaned him off and I heard mom saying, why did you do that? And he said, I was just trying to help my friends. She said, who are your, your friends? And he went outside and his friends were the earthworms that had been washed out with the rain. And he was just trying to build a bridge for them. It made perfect sense to him. Right? Just be curious. He was doing something sweet, not rebellious. It's just so hard when you have that legal frame of spirit and you go through life judging people by do they do things right, not just by loving them. You know what you get? You know what the fruit of a life of of faith is? It is sweet, sweet fellowship because you just live unafraid and you're you're able to to love other people relatively quickly. I I went to uh, Edmund this week to do a podcast and uh it was somebody who come to hear john lynch and he wanted to interview me about it and so i drove over to edmund and we we'd never seen each other uh until you know that day and we started talking and i started bawling like a baby because he asked me a story about my mom and i was terribly embarrassed and i still am and i'm not going to tell you what the podcast is until i see it and see how bad it is and i'll decide my legal frame of spirit will decide whether i'm going to tell you where it is or not but um you know, but through that, we just developed, like, he feels like a close friend for many years right now. I have spent exactly one hour in his presence. Because we're, we don't have anything to hide. That's what, that's the kind of friendship you, you if you 
live a life of faith. You live a life of, of your hands being open. You're not clenching on to your life and making it, forcing it to turn out the way you want it to. And you're not clenching on to your friends and, and giving them rules about things that they have to do in order to be your friend. You're living life with your hands open so that people can, when they, when they do, whether they should or not, when people go out of your life, you don't clench up your fists. And when they come back, it's great to see them. I, uh, when I was, my, had my first job out of college, I worked at the University of Tennessee as a missionary. And um, was, that was kind of a joke, but not that funny. I mean, I wasn't doing ministry, but it's not like, you know. Anyway, I, I was a missionary to the lost at the University of Tennessee, and I got in a fight. It was the first, first and maybe the only real fight I've ever been in with my mom. And it was the only time I can ever remember, like, deliberately not picking up the phone when she called because I wanted to hurt her feelings, deliberately not calling when I usually did because I wanted to hurt her feelings. Like, the only time I remember being in, in that kind of conflict. And Thanksgiving came, and I had no choice but go home. And it was the longest four-hour drive in the history of man. And it was gray, and it was cold. And I, I got there just as the sun had, you know, you know, what we call the gloaming when the sun is set, but there's still light. And so it's just dreary. It's like death. Like the sky looked like death was coming. And I opened the door, and that's how I felt like this is going to be the worst experience of my life. And I opened the door, and through the wall, I hear my sister going, Ricky's home, Ricky's home, Ricky's home, Ricky's home. And she throws open the door, and she comes, and she just wraps me up with this goofy hug, and she kisses me with this slobbery, nasty kiss that she did that were so wet and gross. And everything was different. And I felt at home, and I felt loved, and I felt like somebody was thankful for me. And I still had to fight with my mom and work that out. But it was just a different atmosphere. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want people to be able to walk in to that door, to the door to the church, and they haven't been here in years, and, and you don't want them to walk in expecting a clenched fist? Don't you want them, their, their entire attitude to change when they see the smile on your face and see that you're glad they're back. That's, that's the life of open hands. That's the life of grace. You know what? I've done bad things and I've walked away from things I shouldn't have. And I received grace and so I can give it. That is, that is the life that Paul is, is offering us. You don't have to go through life with your fists clenched. You don't have to go through life feeling like you've ruined it or you're about to ruin it. It can be joyful. It can be free. It can be filled with love. If we'll just drink deeply from the grace that God has given us and show that to others through the day. Please pray with me. Father, it is an absolute truth that we treat others the way we think you've treated us. Oh, that's not really that great. We're judgmental and we're critical. 
We tend to go through life looking for what people did wrong. Father, would you just unclench our fists and allow us to receive the gift of your grace every day. For it's in the pure and perfect and wonderful name of Jesus we pray.